Hello, everyone, uh, Cree listeners, and welcome to Jaffa Takes, a podcast where we rewatch all of Stargate, starting with the movie and then moving on through the TV series. Uh, um, I'm your host, Simon, and joining me today, I have a full cast, like, not a full cast, a uh, full, like, four different people, I'm going to say, that <laughs> are going to comment on this uh, middle part of the movie with me. So we have Eric. Hello. We have Gabe. Hello. We have Kavika. What up? And Jimmy Dean. Hi. All right, so... Uh, We've so we're only three people on the previous one, and we're five now. Uh, it's gonna be a little more crowded, uh, but uh, I'm gonna start with uh, uh, like a not a correction, I guess, but a clarification from last time, which was uh, I I kind of missed a scene in the first part of the movie because I, I I mentioned that uh, the the scene from the extended edition at the at the start of the movie where you see like Raw getting. Uh, abducted by aliens, but there's another scene later on where uh, it's it's really small. But O'Neill, right before they turn on Stargate, he sees uh, like a fossil of a Jaffa warrior there uh, that that they've also found in a different room of the SGC that no one is aware of, and it's not that important, but it does uh, kind of set up why they want to b- blow up the whole thing. Uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way since uh, you know it's kind of something we missed last time, but it's there. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm just going to go around the table for the people who weren't here last week, and they can like introduce themselves and tell us uh, their history with Stargate, I guess. So we'll start with Eric. Hi, Eric. Hello. What do you know about Stargate? I, uh, I know that I've watched the movie several times mm-hmm. uh, because the viewing habit of my brothers and myself is that we would get a movie... Basically watch it on repeat for a couple weeks and then just commit it to memory. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, And we also had the toys. Oh, great. So possibly at my parents' house, we might still have the glider. Oh, that's cool. The glider from the movie, which I guess is probably a different toy than the one that they made for the series after that. They made one for the the series? I don't know. I, I I would assume so. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to Google. Shuan uh, glider toy. You can keep talking yeah, while I'm looking this up. Uh, Batman and Spider Man would be <laughs> flying in instead. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I uh, never really watched any of the TV shows. My older brother is really into them, but uh, I have a not avoided them, but just not really put any effort into watching mm-hmm. them. All right. Well, I'm looking it up and I don't believe they've actually made much of much like toy merchandise for the for the series, which is a shame. I'm seeing like some action figures of 
a bad Kurt Russell <laughs> based on the movie. <laughs> the glider that seems to have been marketed from the movie itself <laughs> looks blue and pink and fuchsia kind of on the box. And it, it has like Jafar with a whole like horse head on it in the thing with a completely open cockpit in space weirdly enough. Wait, wait. <laughs> this thing. They sold Kurt Russell's character as, a, as an action figure? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just saw this on Google. Oh, Let yeah. me just did it, paste it in the Discord. Did it come with a cigarette? Uh, I don't know. I would assume not because they, these things tend to get like kind of swept under the rug. But it's funny because like talk it came with a picture of a child. It was weird. <laughs> Comes with like pistol with an empty clip with one missing bullet and like a sad picture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Is that a bottle of booze? What is that? I don't know. He has two rockets. He has what seems to be a rocket launcher, uh, some kind of sniper rifle thing, a kind of stone. It looks like a magic counter thing. I don't know. And what is the uh, size of this Stargate? Is that a Stargate for ants? <laughs> Stargate for ants. Kurt yeah, Russell by, action by, figure can't fit through there. Yeah, it's not, it's it's nowhere near to scale for, with the action figure. I don't know. And it doesn't look like O'Neill or Kurt Russell. It looks like a repurposed More. generic cop guy. He has some kind of walkie-talkie on his shoulder that Looks like a demolition man it, action yeah. figure. It looks more like, a, it does. more like a star belt. Like you'd have to wear it, and that's how he would jump to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Anyway, uh, curio for early uh, Stargate merchandising, I guess. Uh, oh God, I just saw that. Is that Daniel? Oh my God! Hang on, I, I need to share this with y'all because. Daniel is even more tragic. What? <laughs> what is this? That's the same guy. That's the same generic guy with a different shirt. But he has like the the, the fatal fury like cat on almost, <laughs> yes. and he's holding a gun. He's built as hell. This is this is weird. Yeah. I just I I never knew this existed. But you can tell it's Daniel because of the amulet flying off of his neck. Right, of course. The artwork makes him look like he's a character in Stallone's Over the Edge. Like one of the backgrounds. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> no, over, uh, over the top. Over yeah. the top. <laughs> I, I was about to say this is the alternate universe where they had him instead of Stallone. <laughs> yeah, James Spader as a... Uh, yeah, so I guess that you, that's, you're just going to lose that hat because whatever. Huh. He has some kind of oh, pyramid he's got a thing. Collectible pyramid. Yeah, it looks like the Yu-Gi-Oh thing, I guess. <laughs> uh, the, the 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 size it is, I guess. Anyway, uh, he he comes with a Luxor. <laughs> so, thank you, Eric, for leading us to this discovery. So, because wow. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to Gabe. Hi, Gabe. Hi. So I so I didn't watch the movie until about two or three years after I started SG-1. And mm -hmm. I started SG-1, it was kind of a clandestine thing for me because I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of cable TV as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I would go over to my cousins and we would turn on sci-fi because I love science fiction and fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so we caught SG-1 and I was catching it like every other week, every few weeks. And then I watched the movie and... Then and you know immediately put it out of my head. I've I watched I've watched it for this rewatch and I thought hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember any of this because it doesn't match it up at all with the SG one <laughs> canon and so yeah, it's yeah, useless yeah. to my it was useless to my child brain. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of interesting di divergences from the series and this. A, a few we've covered in the first part. There's a big one that we're gonna cover uh, in the third part, I guess, because I don't think that's I'm not sure if it's in this part or the next one. Uh, we'll see. Um, 
Yeah, that's the, 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 the Stargate movie is interesting that way because I was kind of in a similar boat where I watched the first two seasons when they got syndicated in French, which would have been in somewhere around 99, 98, 99, 2000. And then I went back and saw the movie because my uncle had it on DVD and I was like a teenager back then. I was like, fuck this. This is what it, it doesn't match with like the, the show I liked. And I kind of like put it really looked down my nose at it for a long time until I like rewatched it with some distance and realized it's a pretty good movie on its own, like on its own merits. It's like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's better to watch it before you start the series for a couple of reasons, mostly because you, you're not co- constantly thinking of the canon behind it and all the ways it intersects with it. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting movie. Yeah. And well, and it's like, yes, I can, I can appreciate like, why they did certain things that they did because you know this is mm-hmm. a this is a two hour feature and yeah. it, it is not it's not the serialized TV show and I think the biggest thing for me the biggest disconnect was seeing Kurt Russell in place of Richard Dean Anderson that just <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that just made my brain break a little bit yeah 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 and he's completely well he he it's a like they make character. a joke. It's a different character, yes. and they make a joke out of it. Like mm-hmm. when they reference it on the show, it's like O'Neill with one L and no sense of humor, because <laughs> right. it's just this like rough and tough uh, action movie guy, and he kinds of like mellows down by the end of it. Like and when he meets Kara, we're about to see that it's clearly like his arc that he kind of finds a surrogate son and on this planet mm-hmm. and like kind of learns to love life again this way and by the end of this movie he's like cracking wise a little bit he comes a little bit closer to richard Richard dean anderson in a way that kind of works but it's it's interesting for sure all right um jimmy dean hi hello so so i've never seen stargate sg1 i've never seen a single Mm -hmm. episode i've seen two (laughs) clips when they make fun Uh of farscape and uh yeah and like so good the blooper where she references him being MacGyver. That's it. That's my base yeah. knowledge. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so so I've never seen uh, Stargate SG-1. A few years ago, I want to say right after I got out of college, I was on Netflix looking for a show to jump into, and I saw Robert mm-hmm. Carlyle and went, this is the show for me. Mm-hmm. So I've seen all of Stargate oh. Universe. <laughs> I was because you you told me that you've only seen Stargate Universe, and my first question was why, followed by how. Because uh, <laughs> I, I like no disrespect to Stargate Universe. I think it's a show that was cut before its prime. It was getting good, and then it was canceled. It has kind of a rough start, but I can't imagine anyone who's not previously bought into Stargate just jumping in there. Star- uh, so <laughs> it's really interesting. Stargate universe is clearly the stargate producers uh trying to follow the battlestar galactica revival train 100 oh, yeah. percent, yes uh but i i, I think it's fine <laughs> i think it's enjoyable it, it probably could have gone on longer yeah. uh in terms of the movie i've seen this movie a bunch because you know how, like on the radio at, on any single radio uh station the red hot chili peppers are somehow playing uh, in that same way in like the early 2000s stargate was always playing on television be it t- oh the, the, yes. yeah this is roland emmerich and mgm and whoever really like cashed out and like just sold the licensing rights and syndication and everything about this movie real quick which is you know kind of how it was picked up for a tv show that was so successful but also you know you see like the stargate theme 
showed up in some like royalty free library somewhere and a bunch of movie trailers yep. used it before they had their mm-hmm. their own soundtrack weirdly enough it, it's it's a weird like that movie was like weirdly frankenstein in a way and it was also yeah it showed up it became a cable sci-fi perennial uh i mean yeah it's got you know no nudity and barely any cussing you know just uh-huh. quick and easy right uh, 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 yeah, uh, Stargate, like, Twister, and PCU on Comedy Central. God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm prepared for Stargate SG One though. I've seen a lot of MacGyver. I've seen a, uh-huh. I've seen a fair amount of Spader films. Yeah. <laughs> well, forget Spader. Oh, okay, First yeah, of yeah, all, yeah. he's not <laughs> he's not in the show, and like. It, like you can you can tell Michael Shanks early on tries to like kind of emulate his acting, but he kind of gives that up pretty quick because it's not really working with him. But yeah, it's the Spader is the his his footprint is not large on the Stargate universe as a whole, with like the exception of setting up the the, the basic lore that is set up in this movie, I guess. Okay. Um. I'll just make my own Boston legal podcast. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead and do that. It's fine. We we need more rewatch podcasts of '90s TV shows. Uh, speaking of which, yeah, I think that's the other thing I wa- I forgot I wanted to mention is I didn't plan it this way, but it just so happens that this is almost exactly the 25th anniversary of Stargate SG One this year. Oh my god! Yeah, is this like that? Children of the Gods aired in July 1997. So by the time this airs, we're a couple of months away from that. Um, so yeah, I th- I think we're getting uh, with our luck. I, I like I got on a Power Rangers podcast and like six months later they announced that they were doing a Power Rangers reboot movie and that thing was on and we had some news to talk about suddenly. So I fully expect Stargate news will start <laughs> happening now that I've started this, even though it's been completely dead for a decade at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, isn't Roland Emmerich always uh, trying to reboot this? He like yeah he was he kept having an in with MGM and like trying to like make a sequel to this and ignoring the TV show because I think he was a little salty that they kind of took his lore and ran with it um, and like the the showrunners don't like Roland Emmerich and they were always like kind of fighting him on this and was like, no Stargate is ours now we can't take it back uh, but I think like Roland Emmerich is kind of not super like influential in hollywood anymore at this point so i think that might not possibly not happen and like you have brad wright and uh, robert cooper that have been talking about bringing stargate back for a decade and last time they tried that was origins and we all know how that went um mm-hmm. So who knows if that's going to happen? Yeah, so <laughs> stargate origins is a web series that lasted for i think something like 10 10 minute episodes or something like that it aired in 2014 15 somewhere like that and that was because so before mgm got bought by amazon their big plan for stargate on streaming was to have a streaming service dedicated completely and exclusively to stargate that's the only thing that was on there every episode and movie of the stargate franchise and then they inaugurated that by doing a streaming tv uh, streaming show that took place in the 1940s and featured Catherine langford going through the stargate to abydos and being pursued (laughs) by nazis who meet raw and the gold there and somehow tried to make all that canon even though it hurt my brain to even think about it (laughs) it was terrible you're describing a worse version of paramount plus to me <laughs> uh-huh. yeah it, it was that it was really fascinating um 
So now that streaming service no longer exists, Stargate has been scattered to the winds. Uh, Amazon bought MGM, so in Canada, Stargate is all available on Amazon Prime currently, but I think they're just waiting for the streaming contracts to run out in other territories, which is why uh, the movie is kind of everywhere and the TV show is on Netflix in the U.S. currently, I believe. If you, wanna, if you don't want to watch along, the, the movie in Canada is on Amazon Prime, on, in the U.S., it's available for streaming for free on Tubi uh, with ads, but you can just watch it on there if you want. Um, yeah. Uh, I kind of skipped over Kavika, but hi. Uh, you were here last week, which I is why I didn't... Week. Yeah. Anything new happened in the world of Stargate relating to you? Uh, I thought about it a lot. Great. A little. That, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Thought about it like I've... I thought more about uh, the secretary. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, a little point like last week, you made a joke about secretary that went flying over my head like it, a like a seven forty seven in the sky. <laughs> Completely did not pick up on it, and then in the Discord in the week following that, Eric made another joke relating to that, and I pointed out that I had no clue what you were talking about, and then he linked us to the to the trailer for that movie, which is a very horny movie, <laughs> star- James Spader a- entering. A an extremely sexual BDSM relationship with his secretary, played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. So I get it now. Um, <laughs> There'll be more jokes s- to come. Uh huh. More jokes. Yeah, because this is where James Spader starts to get horny in this part of the movie, right there. Also, so you y- you get to have your cake and eat it. Um, anyway, uh, without further ado, oh sorry, I just dropped something. On. Okay. Um, Let's continue. Uh, we were at the 40 minute, uh, I'm at 40 minutes 38 on my timeline of the movie. Uh, right after Daniel got, got done, got dragged by this animal in the desert, and the soldiers caught up to him and explains to them that there's a harness on this animal, and then they just walk over that dune, and what does O'Neill spot with his binoculars? A settlement full of humans walking to some kind of tent in the middle of the desert. To also... I do want to point out that you were able to see the light reflector in his glasses. Oh, great. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're picking up uh, after Jackson gets dragged across uh, Tatooine by a not-bantha. Uh, oh, yeah. So we, we can also, like, another thing we forgot last week is to make a hundred jokes about desert planets and <laughs> sci-fi. So they're on Tatooine or Arrakis slash Dune, the Spice Must Flow, all of those jokes. Imagine them right there. Um, <laughs> uh, Desert Planets, like another sci-fi favorite, uh, very present in this movie. Uh, the name of this planet is, I don't think it's stated in this movie at all, but it's later, uh, I guess, retconned to be called Abydos. Um, anyway, they, they see, so I guess like his binoculars also see all the way back to the mountains at the distance because yeah. he sees it. <laughs> this is some very powerful binoculars, even though he doesn't seem to zoom on them or anything. Well, he brings them around uh, with them everywhere. May, they may as well be a second accessory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, are they on the action figure? I don't see them. They should have been there. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so he can see all the way back on those mountains. There's a bunch of scaffolding and ladders on it and people climbing up and banging on the rocks because this is a mine, or I guess it's a quarry because we don't see the inside of it. Um, they're mining for, and again, another thing that's not named in this movie, Naquada, which uh, yeah. is yeah. the the material, the metal that the Stargates are made out of. Um, but it's, it's going to be established in a little bit. 
we get like some close-up of the people there. They spot the soldiers in the desert and start yelling at each other. Whoa, look over there. There's people looking at us. Uh, we get our first shot of our boy Skara, who is one of the few, one of only two actors who are in this movie and then come back in the series oh, uh, playing the same role. Are we? So are we, apparently, are we talking about the tribal chief? No. Uh, no. Ah. Also, that's the other one. Kasuf is the second guy who comes back <laughs> in the series playing the same role. Uh, Skara is his son. Uh, apparently, Alexis Cruz, who plays him, was uh, they were considering making him a series regular and a part of, of SG-1 in an early draft of the show, but that didn't happen, which is why what happens to him does happen on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so... It's, it's as a Stargate fan, it's really comforting to see him, to see his face right there, and to have like something to anchor on and go, "Oh, oh, good, this is Stargate, <laughs> awesome." Uh, I was very, um, I was very excited to see Eric Avari show up as the tribal chief. <laughs> uh, so Eric Avari does appear again in Stargate SG One as Kasuf, the tribal chief. Uh, as stated last week, there's a third cast member who appears again in the series, and that's Richard Kind, but he reappears at the, as a different character years and years down the line in Stargate Atlantis. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Now, for people who haven't watched the show like uh-huh. me, uh, they would probably most recognize Eric Avari as Nicholas Nachios from the Daredevil movie. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, he, he, he's also like a common, like, he was a commonly used character actor in the 90s. He plays, he has a bit part in Independence Day, which is the main thing I knew him from. Like, he's the guy who wakes up and bangs his head early in the movie because they found, like, the alien ships. Yeah, yeah, another, yeah. It's a, that's he, another Roland Emmerich movie, so clearly he just called him back. He, but. he plays the museum curator in The Mummy, Yes. Yeah. He also mm-hmm. plays. Yes. Uh, yes. That's true. He plays like four different races in Star Trek shows. Yeah. 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 Uh, a bunch of over overlap uh, of Star Trek actors and Stargate is gonna, is coming up also in the series. So that's he was in the Bad Planet of the Apes. Oh, the the Tim Burton one. Did they play a human or an ape in that? Did you remember? Uh, you don't I remember. Don't. He might be I a feel human. like. Yeah, that he. Ba- He's on- got a single name, so I'm guessing yeah, ape. maybe an ape. Because like, just based on his role in this movie, it seems like he should play a grandpa human who gets killed by apes in like the first ten <laughs> minutes of the movie. Um, anyway, uh, so everyone stops what they're doing and stares at the men who are there. O'Neill pointing his gun at them, of course, because U.S. military always ready to shoot some natives on a planet. And you have a tricorder. I like that. Yeah, they have a tricorder there. So the, the funny thing is, many years down the line, the, like they have like scanners and stuff on Stargate SG One. They're eventually gonna end up with. Uh, oh yeah, Eric! Huh. You just posted a picture from Planet of the Apes where Eric Avari is clearly playing a, a human. So ah! that's that's good. I'm glad of that. Um, yeah, uh, it's not really important what I was about to say. <laughs> Basically, they they have they end up with a PSP as a. a a tricorder on Stargate SG One, like starting in season something like seven, eight, something like that. That would be uh, melted as hell. Uh huh. You mean the a PSP on a desert planet? No, the the Fifth Avenue bar. <laughs> okay, we're well, you're already up there. Great, thanks. Thanks for pushing me forward there. Um, <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, what happens first? So Daniel goes forward and like tries to talk to them, of course, because. 
that makes sense. Linguist, uh, they think he speaks ancient Egyptian. It would make sense for him to make first contact. Uh, there's one of the people there sees the, the raw medallion that uh, Daniel is uh, wearing around his neck that he got from Catherine, recognizes it. He yells, the, so the man signals and yells to everyone, and they all kneel down in the sand uh, uh, in reverence, clearly uh, recognizing this symbol as uh, one representing their gods. Uh, everyone is kneeling down. No, O'Neill and the soldiers come up and ask Daniel, what'd you tell them? And Daniel says, I didn't, I didn't say anything, which is, you know, he literally didn't say anything. Uh, O'Neill approaches Skara, uh, offers his hand, and goes, hi, hey, uh, I'm not a linguist, but uh, I can maybe offer an overture of friendship to this man. He picks up Skara's hand and, like, like does a kind of forced, not forced, but... Uh, like uh, he like guides him into a handshake to signify you know hello this is this is how we meet and greet people and smiles at him uh Skara is afraid of that <laughs> he screams and runs off uh O'Neill immediately points his gun back at him because he's such a good friendly uh, anthropologist and he knows that's what that's what I you mean, do yeah. with people you there's just a met. fleeing child of course um, you point your gun at his back yeah of course uh, what I'm going to guess is Lieutenant Brown uh, scans the, the, the minerals with this little tricorder to learn some stuff about what they're mining there. Uh, so after uh, after Skara has run off and um, warned everyone, uh, you see a bunch of people walk back with one of those animals from earlier, like all covered in netting and uh, like a saddle and stuff. Um, uh, uh, so they come back over and off of that thing... Uh, steps Eric Avari <laughs> in the role of Kasuf, uh, who is Skara's dad, uh, and the like, signed, the leader of this community, I guess, the mayor of this town, uh, at least representative of the humans that live there, considering uh, what we know of uh, the Gwauld uh, system of government uh, that we're going to see by the end of this segment here. Uh, do, we, do we? So he comes over. Do we think he Sorry. was democratically elected? I mean, it's not out of the question. I'm going to say maybe democracy is not something that is that has much of a chance to develop <laughs> in gold-controlled slave peoples. <laughs> but he's some kind of like, of village chief, I guess you could say. It's, uh, maybe there's some kind of, hi- of um, uh, heredity going on since he has two kids and that they seem to be highly placed in the society at least as insofar as they have their friends and they communicate with the newcomers a bunch um anyway uh Kasuf comes over and like kind of speaks to them in his language that nobody understands and he offers a staff to them he kneels uh or more like bows and um he signals some more people to come over including a real pretty lady who hands Daniel, uh, some kind of boat-shaped vessel filled with what I must assume is water, because they don't immediately spit it out and exclaim it's too strong moonshine, which is what's going to happen next time this happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so this is all greeting and stuff. So Daniel, uh, in return for the offering of water, pulls out the Fifth Avenue bar you mentioned, which is not a chocolate bar I'm familiar with. I don't think this exists in Canada. Oh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to argue with a candy bar. Um, <laughs> uh, unless it's got coconut in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
It looks crunchy. Is there caramel in there? Can, can someone please describe to me what the Fifth Avenue is? The Fifth is? Avenue bar is a candy bar introduced in 1936. <laughs> Consisting of, it's, uh, it's peanut Great. butter crunch layers uh, It's ra- with chocolate around it. Oh, so it's like a crispy crunch. For all, okay, so all four of you are American, aren't you? All right. So Krispy Crunch is a British bar by Cadbury that has like peanut brittle thing, and there it's real sticky and crunchy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my frame of reference. That's what I'm going to assume he offered him. Uh, it's not the. Has, it, has anyone here yeah. eaten a Fifth Avenue? No. no. Okay, so is it basically no, just no, a butterfinger? Because uh, the butterfinger is is very like hard. Uh, Fifth Avenue is very caramel based. Like, it's a lot of chocolate around mm-hmm. it, like, covered with a caramel uh, cover, or, like, shell, basically, a shell of caramel. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a lot softer than a Butterfinger. Okay. okay. So, th- that does sound more pleasant than a Krispy Crunch, or a Butterfinger, which is almost the same thing as a Krispy Crunch, now that I think about it. Um, Two adhesives. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem with those. Mm-hmm. They just stick to your teeth and become rock hard, and then like yeah. you actually have to go in there with your nails to like unstick it and like get all your fillings out of there and make an appointment with the dentist <laughs> the next day. Immediately. Um, okay. Yep. So somebody, do you think that there's an animal that they put a covering on, or does it look like people that are just kind of like really high stepping? So. The thing is, I'm look like I have it paused on Amazon, and this is going to come up a lot because Amazon gives you a bunch of details of what of what you're watching when you pause it, and it it uh, it credits Frank Welker as Mustache, which I must assume is the name of it this is. creature. Well, he does. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I think. It's, I mean, I can recognize a Welker from a mile away. <laughs> well, there you go. Point. So apparently, that's that's him right there. It's a Jim Henson puppet thing, and it, there's a guy in there. He must be sweltering hot in there, considering they shot this in Arizona in the middle of the day. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, we don't see these things much for the rest of this anyway. Well, um, they could have done it in winter. It doesn't look like winter. I'm looking at it. Everyone is sweaty. And they're in the sun. I think it's like well, the middle Arizona. of summer. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've never been there. Is it is it like that also in the winter? Can you just like... Yeah. It, it doesn't... Unless you get a snow, it's going to look like that. All right. Let me... So, let me we also, don't know. Maybe. Let me nip it in the bud. Uh, don't go to Arizona. You don't need to go investigate. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Great. This is also the last chance where we ever get to talk about Arizona because the rest of this franchise is shot in the frigid wastes of Vancouver, Canada, as has been very much discussed, and everything is in a forest. <laughs> and sometimes they go back to Abydos. It looks way wetter and colder there. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we get the famous, now famous, mimetic scene of this movie where uh, Daniel offers the, the aforementioned Fifth Avenue bar to Kasuf and he, he kind of smells it, and you almost get the, the, the impression that he's about to commit a candy bar newbie sin and eat it sideways before <laughs> turning it and eating the tip of it in his mouth. Um, and then he chews on it a little bit and then goes, hmm. Bunny? And then, like, he's really happy about this. He starts smiling and cheering and signaling to everyone behind him. And he's like, oh, man, this is great. And then, like, Kowalski asks, what's that mean? (laughs) And Dr. Daniel Jackson, PhD in linguistics, says, I have no idea. (laughs) He just added a candy bar to a man who said, Bonnie Way. (laughs) 
and smiling and laughing, and he doesn't think that might maybe mean this is good. <laughs> um, okay, let's all take turns saying something in his tone of voice that is negative. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, I'll try. I'll start. This sucks. <laughs> this is ass. <laughs> you eat this? Okay. <laughs> Tastes like what shit. A, what an asshole. Get a load of this asshole. Now, I, this chocolate tastes like puke. This I, I did have a right here? I did have a question. Like, so, if you're not familiar with a Fifth Avenue bar, what candy bar do you think you would bring for the situation? Ah, uh, well, it's, it's the desert, first of all. Like, every candy bar is terrible in that climate. Um... <laughs> Uh, I don't know what's what's a good first candy bar. Reese's fast break. I think like I, I think like even a Snickers or a Mars is uh, Mars is called something else in the U.S. I'm sorry. Um, even that is maybe a little much for a first try. Maybe like your basic crunch or something that's just like a dairy milk, just chocolate basically. That that would be a good first candy bar, even though it would be completely melted. What's yeah, the, something that's the, not super the rich. All peanuts. Not rageous, or do you mean payday, the baby payday. Ruth? Payday, the payday. Yes, thank you. Jim. Oh God, maybe an O Henry, which is like peanuts and uh, caramel. I don't know. Uh, I heard Reese's Fast Break. That's the one I would choose. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! You know what the answer is, Mr. Big. Uh, I don't think you have Mr. Big in the U.S. It's like they're double sized. They're they're from Cadbury, so they're British. Uh, it's basically like. Uh, vanilla wafer with caramel and peanuts around mm. it covered in chocolate they're kind of fresh tasting like they would still taste pretty good when it's hot i think because of the wafers in there so that's my pick they are quite good i would bring yeah. neko wafers and i would not be invited oh back. my god you would start a war <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh mints would be good also just just like uh after eights or something patty yeah yeah, peppermint patties. Yeah, mint is good when it's hot. Yeah, a Klondike um, bar, so then it can everybody can see it melting through my it pocket. Would be, it would be <laughs> so melted before it even gets there. That's the problem with that. I take this responsibility of a first candy bar very seriously, so I'm also bringing a cooler oh. with me to transport it. Uh-huh. Because, okay, okay, like just like one of those uh, good food boxes, mm-hmm. like uh, the the meal prep thing with like the. The, the cardboard thing with the foil in it and like liquid uh, not dry ice in there to keep it cool yeah, exactly and stuff. yeah, yeah. No, just you think you're carrying an atomic bomb but really it's just a candy bar cooler <laughs> it's just a cooler full of beer actually <laughs> the container that, that O'Neill's working on slides that's open that, and it's just that, full that's of the joke from bars. yeah there's a joke in Starcraft like one of the Starcraft cinematics has that you have like Marines with a nuke thing and there's beer in there yeah nice um anyway uh, after all that, Kasuf invites them to follow them, and then, like, uh, Daniel says, he's inviting us to go with him, and, like, I think, no, wait, Kowalski says, how, how do you know this? Because he's literally saying stuff while bending down and, like, <laughs> signaling with his hands, follow us, obviously, so Daniel still has some kind of anthropological linguistic skills to understand this basic human interaction right there. I think right it's there. the heat. I um, think it's the heat. Yeah, it's probably getting to him. It's really hot, unless it's the winter, on, well, on Abydos or Arizona or whatever. Um, uh, so we ha- have a little aside where Brown says he scanned uh, the minerals there, 
with his tricorder and says, uh, there's some radiation coming from it, and this is the stuff the Stargate is made of. Thanks. Uh, this is... Actually, yeah, this is a fair, fairly important plot point for later. Um, so they follow uh, this tribe of people back to their home, which is, I guess, is that big tent which we saw from the distance. Uh, which they get I in just there. noticed now that that tent, the center pole, is actually an obelisk. Yeah. Oh, great. I wonder if that's some kind of like, uh, if they did like some kind of research into like ancient Egyptian building methods or something. And this is so some of these uh, people used to live in Washington D.C. Oh yeah, that, that's the <laughs> other thing. Well, you know, like in the series, like so. The language of these people is like derived from ancient Egyptian, and that's the whole reason why they need Daniel there to translate it. In the series, they're like gonna drop this almost immediately, and everyone in the galaxy is gonna speak English, and we're supposed to just pretend it's not happening. But like, maybe, maybe that's also there's American influence there for some reason. Um, so they get in there, uh, a lot of people with a lot of spears. Uh, they walk up over to like the central plaza under this tent. Uh, Suf signals to everyone, everyone bow down, because he clearly thinks these are gods. Uh, he signals for, like, a tarp that's uh, more like a sheet that's covering uh, this uh, huge version of the same medallion that Daniel has that's hanging over this whole thing, representing Ra, and now Daniel exposits that it's the Eye of Ra. I think, uh, Gabe, you mentioned that it's actually the, the Eye of yes. Horus. And, uh, yeah, it's because the, yeah, the so. left eye is the Eye of Horus, oh. and the right eye is the Eye of Ra. Huh. Like, literally, it's just and mirrored. I, I guess they wouldn't, like, yeah, they wouldn't mirror this thing, like, on both sides of the coin or anything. Stage right it's, or it's, house it, right? Well, uh, mm, house right. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, the eyebrows pointing off to house right. So yeah, so it, it's it's stage left, yeah. I mean that's an easy mistake for anybody who studied ancient Egyptian, a PhD. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's like it's an easy mistake for filmmakers to make, but you might ex- expect uh, Daniel to uh, not make that mistake, and it's gonna get a whole lot more confusing when you learn that. Uh, the Horus, like Horus in uh, what the, the, the Egyptian god we call Horus, uh, does exist in the Stargate universe, and his name there is actually Heru Ur, and he's going to show up in, I think, season two of the show. Uh, and also, there's a character in this movie that is credited as Horus, mm-hmm. but he's not a god. He's one of the Jaffa, who are the soldiers of the Gwaul. Yeah, so they kind of mix, mix him up in the movie. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they also I, reference another guy being Anubis. Yes. Yeah, and like, okay, the Anubis guy makes extra double fucking no sense mm-hmm. because Anubis <laughs> is a big fucking deal in Stargate. Um, well, I mean, they're doing <laughs> it based on their helmets, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, th- yeah that's, that's the idea. And like, for all future Gwauld, uh, they're going to have Jaffa that wear helmets representing only their specific uh, Egyptian deity. Uh, but Ra, like, I, I guess I kind of like the idea that Ra thinks he's such a big shot that he has, like, 
two underlings that he named after, first of all, his own son. <laughs> so mad shade on his son right there. And the other guy is the scariest gold that all the gold actually are afraid of. And he just said, no, like my first Jaffa, my first prime is going to be named that actually. I'm going to, I'm going to give him his helmet because I'm not scared of him. I guess that's a big power move considering at this point, Ra is the supreme system lord of the gold and he controls the whole galaxy as far as they're concerned. Um, but this is like, Sorry, Jimmy Dean and Eric. This is future Stargate lore that I'm bringing to the table here. A lot of lore! A lot of lore! Ah, this seems kind of unfair to hold the movie to the uh, series. Yeah, so that's that's the thing. When I said that I saw the first two seasons and then the movie and was pissed at it as a shitty teenager, <laughs> this is what I didn't understand. Because the movie was made and there was no series for them to contradict back then. So it's fine, actually. It's just, <laughs> it's just me being a nerd about all this, I guess, because I really like Stargate. Uh, like, all 17 seasons of lore that come after this movie, and also two more movies. Oh, yeah, the show is, is probably um, just one of my favorite on-TV, period. It's it's my favorite. Like, I, I, I did a good deal of actual soul-searching. Searching. Stargate is my favorite TV show ever, and number two is Lost. Mm -hmm. Come at me. This is, like, ne never has there been anything better made since those two things. Um maybe a last rewatch podcast I will no, admit no. that I for a while I was a little sore that they mm -hmm. canceled Farscape to give the money to Stargate was that because uh, they were both on Sci-Fi Channel oh, that's yeah. right but like the thing is the, the weird thing is that they got Ben Browder and Claudia Black to just star on Stargate right after Far Farscape ended, which is weird, a weird choice, but good on them for still having work at that point. Uh, it wasn't point. really right after. It was a it couple was of years, I guess. several years, yeah. yeah. But yeah, as you mentioned, like in the 200th episode of Stargate SG-1, they, there's a big joke where... Uh, Vala, who is played by Claudia Black, is pitching a TV show that is clearly a, clearly a spoof of Farscape, and then they cut back to the guy who's hearing the pitch, and he's like, I have no idea what, what that was a reference to. Which is, I'm sorry, Farscape fan. It's Farscape fans. It's pretty funny. Uh, I did watch all of, of Farscape. It's a weird show. Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna guess that Stargate SG One will not be as horny as Farscape. <laughs> no, that's my. It doesn't come anywhere close to this. That's my There's initial question presumption from the hip. I'm just shooting straight. Uh -huh. There there is some questionable nudity coming up on Stargate SG One only in the pilot episode. Aside from that, it's, not, it's not a super not horny, horny show. You're right. There's a there's a very I mean, very distinction there. No, yeah. I mean, the, the the cameraman and showrunners of Stargate SG-1 do like Claudia Black, and it's very apparent that they do when it happens, but it's not horny in the same way Farscape is. Um, anyway, this is very, a lot of a lot of seasons of show ahead of where we <laughs> are now. <laughs> uh, they get in there. Uh, did I? Okay. Uh, so they're in there. Uh, Daniel says, this, this is the bit where he writes in the sand. Yeah, I think it is, right? Uh, he tries to get get through to them. Like, he understands that this is raw. The, the, the symbol means raw. And he says the word raw to them. And they kind of just look at him and like, yeah, okay. So why are you saying that? Of course, we all know God. Why do you say God to us? Um, <clears throat> uh, so did I miss anything? I think I... Did we talk about Jackson no, eating the lizard chicken? No. 
Yeah, this is this is a little later. So I was wondering. So it's not the the scene when he writes in the sand okay. yet either. Um, it's the same. So uh, more. It's it's later. It's 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 when night falls. There's a bit before that where there's a, a back at base camp. There's a sandstorm coming up, and Freddy calls over to O'Neill and tells him there's a sandstorm and they need to take shelter in the temple. Uh, it's not like it's this just set up for later, but I guess it's not that important scene. Uh, they just pack up, move into the temple. Meanwhile, the natives on the uh, the humans there. Oh, I guess there's a whole city because we we see a shot of the the sandstorm approaching, and they all pack up their stuff and take refuge in the city. And there's like there's a bunch of like walls and stuff we didn't see before. So I guess the geography is kind of confusing there. Uh, not sure they're actually in the tent. It looks more like a an actual city. Um, well, I think the tent's just like the work site. And then they go yeah, back yeah. to the city. Yeah, they went back in. That would make sense. It, it's just we haven't seen the outside of the city before they walk in there. So I think, like, the Kuleshov effect, if I can put on my not-actually-fim-degree monocle there, tells us that it, they, we think it's in the tent, but maybe it's not actually. Um, so uh, Freddy tries to call them. I think the, 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 the sandstorm is cutting up their radio signals so they can't properly get a call in to O'Neill to tell him they such shelter in the temple uh but like we got to nighttime now and everyone there is having a fun little festival to welcome the newcomers to their town um and daniel is just scarfing down everything that's being brought in front of him because he knows as a good anthropologist that eating the food of the people there is like if you don't it can be taken as a grave insult obviously um so they bring, he's eating some kind of pita thing, and like Kowalski is kind of giving shit for it, even though it's clearly just pita. Um, <laughs> and they, they, they bring, uh, this big old, uh, blizzard thing on, on, in front of him. It, it's like the size of a pig. Uh, it's the top of it is cut off, and there's some meat sticking out of it. And, uh, Kasuf like gestures at it, uh, clearly meaning like, eat this, it's good, right? Um, uh, so, uh, like, so Daniel kind of stares at him, and he's not so sure of this anymore, because this is some kind of alien lizard thing he's never seen before, and Kowalski gives him, gives him shit and says, well, gotta eat that, or you're gonna insult them, and get a nice close-up of the gap in the lizard and the meat sticking out of it, which is clearly, like, roast chicken right there. Uh, he takes a bite of it, eats it, and says, indeed, it is chicken. Well, I mean, <laughs> it tastes... Just like it. I just uh, want to say, alligator and snake taste like chicken, so it makes sense that this lizard would too. <laughs> They're all like by, I, you know, if I've learned anything from Jurassic Park, birds are dinosaurs, so it would make sense that everything yeah. tastes like that, right? Now, um, I have a concern about this interaction. So I would obviously eat this uh, lizard chicken, but uh, <laughs> where they where they pull the meat from is where the creature's uh, spinal cord is probably yeah. located. That yeah, makes you're right me about a little that. Uneasy. Oh no, no, you just well, because you just you clean the lizard and then you shred the huh? meat and you put it back in the shell as right. as a serving. That, like twice baked potato exactly. of a lizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I assume <laughs> okay, is going okay. on. It it's well prepared. It's like their version of a Thanksgiving turkey. It's been stuffed. Um, and then so Daniel says it tastes like chicken, and Daniel tries to communicate this to Ksuf by pointing to his tongue to mean taste. And then he, he does a chicken-like gesture and. To say uh, chicken, and of course, Kasuf just stares at him because they must not have any actual chickens on this desert planet. If they had uh, chickens, then they would serve chicken. 
Yeah, they they would, <laughs> but I, I mean, chicken is kind of part of every like food culture on Earth. Almost, it's 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 everywhere. I don't know mm-hmm. if chickens are uh, endemic to like the, the the Saharan desert or whatever. But uh, anyway, apparently, when when Ra brought these humans over there, they he didn't also bring over chickens because we don't see an actual chicken in this movie. Well, he probably didn't um, bring a lot of stuff. That that sounds. <laughs> like what you would do when you kidnap a bunch of people from a planet. Yeah, but yeah, we know what we know how gold think humans <laughs> of humans and probably didn't give a shit about keeping their food, even though he stole their whole culture and you know impersonated their god and stuff like that. Oh yeah, that's another thing. Uh, non Stargate watchers, you might get the impression from this movie that Egyptian uh, mythology was based on these aliens. It's actually the other way around. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, they, so they're just weebs. Yeah, exactly. The the world came <laughs> over and saw that they had this whole thriving culture and said. Here's what we do. We're just going to like copy everything and we're going to pretend to be these gods and then they're going to worship us. And that's what happens. So I mean, that's, that that's, sounds like a pretty good plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good scam. Uh and it's one small way in which the show kind of like uh dealt with the fact that a bunch of the precepts of this are kind of fucking racist. So <laughs> at least in the show uh, as of official lore of this, the Egyptians did not Based their whole culture on aliens. It's the aliens that based their whole thing on Egyptian culture. Um, okay, so at this point, uh, O'Neill wants to get down to business and says, Well, how about you communicate with these people and uh, that, you know, we're, st- we're still trying to get the gate started over here. And maybe if you can communicate with them and learn how to write their stuff, uh, we might figure something out and get back to Earth. So, uh, so then you'll blow it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that's what O'Neill is in for. He's like, I, I want to blow up this temple. Don't get me wrong. Just don't want to leave you guys stranded here. So figure it out. And so I, I can definitely don't want to be here. Yeah. Uh, O'Neill still wants to die at this point. He hasn't connected with Skara yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, so Daniel picks up what he's, what O'Neill laid down and he's like, okay, I'm going to walk over to Kasuf. Uh, Kasuf thinks he wants, What's whatever is in his plane, I guess he offers it to him. And Daniel's like, No, no, that's not what I want. Okay, pulls out his little medallion, shows it to him. Uh, Kasuf starts like kind of bowing to it again, and then Daniel's like, No, wait, look at it, and starts drawing in the sand the, the same symbol, the eye of Ra. Kasuf like wipes it with his feet, with his foot, and then uh, st- immediately gets up and waves at everyone and yells, Like, party's over, <laughs> like, we're done here. Uh, everyone go to bed. Because he's clearly afraid to death that Ra will see what Daniel's just done and will come over and kill them for it. Uh, Daniel uh, turns to O'Neill and says, well, you know, apparently they it's it's forbidden to them to learn to read and write, so we're shit out of luck for this. Um, so that's cool. Uh, even though, like, I'm wondering now if Kasuf thinks that these people are Goa'uld, uh wouldn't like the rules of not writing not apply to these people. He wouldn't freak out about it. Uh, anyway, I guess I think it's he's, the, yeah. I don't know. It's really are, like I guess like a, it's it's probably just that their culture goes deeper than that, and it's like Suf could get struck down just for looking at some writing in the sand or something. Um, it's, they think it's, it's a trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe it's like a test of faith or something, and like he's well. What's the best way to resolve this? Well, let's call all the women over 
have them take Daniel over to get a bath and then just like offer him my daughter like for sex and that's <laughs> going to solve everything. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you got to throw him off the trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so. I, I know we talked about on Twitter how unsexy Spader is in this film, but uh-huh. he still can't manage to turn off his charm. It's like uh-huh. he has the equivalent of like an AOE aura upon himself where he's just uh-huh. a guy who fucks. He's just yeah, naturally yeah, yeah. a dude. <laughs> it's like Eric Avari <laughs> picked, picked up on that. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, uh, but he wants to fuck. Let's let's have him fuck. I think I think there's a different like. <laughs> okay, so this is definitely like sure. Okay, this is this is still a James Spader that fucks, but not in the, but, but he's kindly. A, yeah, he he <laughs> fucks not, like he he, 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 he fucks like he's this, doing is this, Yeah, this is woke Spader. Like he's not gonna <laughs> accept. The offering of sex, like, right away. He's going to build up some kind of relationship with her, and then they're going to fuck Rodolph for hours, for sure. I mean, that's the only way you can be a thorough and gentle lover. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so after, like, all the ladies are done, like, uh, wiping him down and, like, clipping his nails or brushing his nails or something and combing his hair. Uh, combing his leave. hair with, like, the jawbones of creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> primitive comb right there, which is presumably the jaw of whatever lizard he was eating earlier. Because they got to use every part of it. Um, so, so this uh, hot young lady comes in wearing a veil over her face and, like, Spader, not super quick at the uptake right there. He thinks he's just coming to clean him and, nope, that's not what she's here for. Uh, this is Sha'uri, who is going to be renamed Sha're on the show. Um, so she's actually Kasuf's daughter, we're going to learn later. So great relationship they have there. He just like kind of told her, hey, go fuck the stranger, all right? Um, <laughs> so she goes over there and like takes her top off. And he... <laughs> Daniel Jackson, bless him. Uh, he stares for a second and then goes, no, oh, no, no, no wait. Yeah, he does take a peek. <laughs> Um, he's Spader's got a spade, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then he goes, no, 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 wait, no, 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 we're not doing that. And he dresses her back up and tries to like uh, beckon her out of there. But what happens as soon as he pulls the the curtain aside? Uh, there's Kasuf in the distance looking back and like speaking to him, like all worried and stuff. Because uh, like what what he thinks this means is that uh, his daughter is not sexy enough for him and he's so- really sorry about that and then uh, Daniel uh, quickly uh, goes into damage control mode and uh, says no actually you know what it's fine yes yes I will fuck your daughter thank you sir <laughs> and he just like puts his arm against his shoulder and closes the curtain back up which is pretty funny pretty I don't know kind of dark also but um uh, there you go. But like, he closes the curtain, and clearly, like, he's not actually gonna fuck her at this point. They're just gonna spend some time and talk. Um, but he's got the aura. It's gonna yeah. happen. Yeah. He's got the aura. He's gonna convince her. Yeah, it's gonna. It's, it's, he's, he's gonna take it slow. Fuck her gently and everything. Uh, um, so Daniel, like, uh, now that they're in the private confines of uh, some kind of hut or hole in the wall or something. Uh, he decides, well, let's start with the very basics of language and point at myself and say my name so that we can establish this. Uh, it says Daniel. She points at herself as a Shaori. Um, so next thing Daniel does is try again his whole writing in the sand thing. Uh, 
no, he he draws the the pyramid first of all because he's trying to tell her this is where we came from. He draws a little ramp out of it, uh, makes little tracks coming down the ramp to say we came from there. She's clearly not cool with this because, like, same as her dad, she knows that it's forbidden to do this. Then he gets up and he's like, ah, oh, you know, I get it, that's fine, don't worry about it. Um, and then as he turns around and he's like, well, okay, what am I going to do here? Uh, she realizes maybe she can trust this guy. Like he didn't like take advantage of her. Maybe he's a good guy. So what she does is she wipes off the little, uh, ramp out of the pyramid and draws a circle on top of it. That means, you know, this is the earth point, the earth's point of origin, which she's clearly seen somewhere, if not on the Stargate itself. Maybe on some kind of cartouche or stone somewhere mm-hmm. that might contain the rest of the coordinates. So this is significant and important, obviously. Um, Daniel points at his eye and then at the picture to mean, you know, you've seen this. And then she does the same and says, yes, I've seen this. And he asks her to show him where it is, uh, even though it's the middle of the night and there's a sandstone. That's the best <clears> time. It's under undercover. yeah. Yeah, of course. If if this is forbidden, I guess it's actually probably no the best time to do this. We're at the forbidden uh-huh. site. If they uh-huh. think we're having sex in the tent, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll just and use the back door a, of this place. It is a sandstorm, so it could be the middle of the day still. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but I think no. I mean, it's everything I've, I'm seeing about this is night coded. I guess it could be if they've been fair. inside an actual sandstorm. <clears throat> so, are, we, are we just working? Are we working off the presumption that Eric Avari is just watching the tent the entire time? Like, man, my daughter and not. this angel are quiet. But I mean, silent. Yeah, he he would be worried, right? He would at least have it on the back of his mind and not just go back to eating lizard chicken and getting wasted with everyone else. Um, I don't know, but like, he's not. We don't we don't get the answer to this because uh, we sure cut around it. Because um, we cut back to the temple where the rest of the team is still taking refuge from the storm, still trying to contact O'Neill with the radio, not getting through. Uh, I don't know if, uh, I guess a, a, like a big sandstorm would actually mess with radio communications, especially if it's the 90s and it's not, well, well I mean, they wouldn't, get, they wouldn't get cell coverage there anyway. I was about to say something stupid about like <laughs> smartphones or whatever, but yeah, there's no cell towers on this planet. Um, so uh, we get a shot of the outside of the pyramid where there's clearly a big beam of light coming out off the top of it, which is worrisome at this point because uh, I guess we like we still don't know for sure what the deal is with this place, but uh, we're about to find out because uh, what does come over the, sh- the pyramid but another pyramid, but this one is a spaceship. Um, so the 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 spaceship kind of lands on top of the pyramid, which is, uh, I guess that's the flip side of of Daniel Jackson's whole theory that the pyramids were there was more to them than uh, than there mm-hmm. seemed is that there were actually landing pads for these uh, these ships. Yo, dog! I heard you like pyramids. Uh huh. I heard you like pyramids. <laughs> so I have this pyramid ship right here. I'm gonna I'm just gonna like park it on top of the tomb of your like king. If that's fine with you. <laughs> I'm just going to set this right here. I'll be right back, I swear. Uh-huh. Uh, if there's anything, if there's any way to really, like, swing your dick at the natives of ancient Egypt <laughs> and, like, make him fear you as a god, it's to, like, flex this over their dead pharaoh. 
and just land your spaceship Pharaoh right says, on top of it. Bury me upside down so Rock can kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, all right, so, so I go ahead. I first learned how uh, impressive acting could be and how different actors can be by learning that the kooky alien from Third Rock from the Sun <laughs> could also be a uh, military guy. Are we talking about my boy French Stewart? Uh, yeah, we're oh, talking yes. about French, French Stewart. Stewart. <laughs> Played Lieutenant. Uh, he's a lieutenant in this. Yeah, Lieutenant Ferretti. I think he's going to be major by the time the series starts. Um, Eventually, he gets to become an Inspector Gadget. Yeah, he's oh the gosh. second Inspector yeah. Gadget and the first Ferretti and the only this guy from Third Rock from the Sun. Um, and he's. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit last week. Uh, he's not, I would say, the high water mark of acting in this movie. He's <laughs> he's kind of like chewing the scenery and trying to. He he, he has like 1930s mobster acting. He's like, yeah, what's 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 wrong with you? Except he doesn't swear because it's not an R-rated movie. Like, yeah, he's really angry at everyone all the time and kind of like goofy, and he almost feels like he's trying to do a comedy role in there but it's not really working i don't know he's he, he feels weird in this movie um, he's the asshole who thinks he's funny yeah 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 that's it and i can't tell if that's the character or that's french stewart <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway so we're about to see we mentioned french stewart a lot because all the other soldiers in the in the pyramid are about to bite it because uh, uh I guess we don't see the ring transporter, but uh, the the soldiers uh, that are on that ship beam down into the temple and start doing a predator on everyone. Uh, can can I tell you my my takeaway from this scene? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I love that every one of these special forces soldiers cocks their gun three times, and every oh, yeah. time <laughs> it, it sounds like one of the sound effects from the GoldenEye. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's clearly the same library. You're absolutely yes. right. Yeah, they only cock the guns once. The others are them opening beers, <laughs> and it's, it's with, with the, the breaches on yeah. the guns. It's doing that movie thing where them pointing the gun and not moving any part of it still does a noise for some reason. <laughs> uh, it's it's really great, but they kind of like break formation and get their shit handed to them by these Jaffa. Uh, once again, non-Stargate people, uh, these soldiers are going to be called Jaffa. It's fine. You'll, cut, you'll catch up to it. It's pretty early in, this, in the series. Uh, <laughs> um, we get the first shot of, big air quotes, Anubis, um, <laughs> who has this big old jackal head, metal head on top of his head and shoots. I guess this is the first time we see a staff weapon also because he shoots uh everyone i guess freddy is the only one that doesn't get shot in this scene he just gets captured well, so it looks because it looks like everyone's getting hit in the head with the staff but it still makes the shooting sound yeah i guess they, they it's it's <laughs> like it's like a gun blade in final fantasy 8 like you have to hit the trigger <laughs> while you're hitting with it to make extra damage maybe <laughs> i don't know um, well, yeah, there, there is that little little charge that comes off when it when it arms. Yeah, you yeah, could, you could hit people with maybe, that. Maybe that's like they didn't have zats yet, so that's how they stunned people <laughs> with, with a little micro like electric shock when you hit people with it. That's um, what I pres- I actually presumed was happening that they're just big yeah. staff rods. Yeah, maybe, but there these things also shoot uh, big old razors. We're gonna see later. Um, 
So yeah, we got a, a big shot of, as I said, Anubis, like, revealed uh, from the point of view of Freddy, that's who's lying on the ground, who's, I guess, the only survivor of the scene, so so long, three other guys I didn't learn the name of, uh, as we said last week, <laughs> the red shirts of this movie. Um, we cut back to, ah, I love this scene, actually, uh, to O'Neill smoking in his little tent, and then Skara comes in and looks at him, because he's pretty amazed by his Zippo lighter. Uh... And like to be fair, it's very cool. It's a cool lighter. Like he could Zippos are like, cool. I, I wonder how much Stargate history would be different if O'Neill had brought a Bic with him instead of a Zippo. <laughs> like, would he have connected with Skara in this way? Would the revolution have worked? Would O'Neill have quit smoking or killed himself because he still missed his son? Like, everything lies in the Zippo, the power of the Zippo. I, ho- I hope Zippo got their product placement money from this because it's pretty... Like cosmically significant when you get down to it, because for facilitating this meeting right there, he throws think- the, he throws a bick to Scara, and he's like, "No, no, you get you have to hold it down. You, you have you can't just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. you got it, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scara figures out the, the 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 Zippo immediately, which is like pretty good for someone who's never seen a lighter in his life, I guess. Um, I mean, kids are smart. At, at yeah. Their brains are movie, elastic. I presume that Colonel Jack O'Neill literally only subsists off cigarettes. I've never seen him do anything. <laughs> I've never seen him touch food. He just smokes. Uh-huh. But here's the funny thing. At this point, like, uh, he, 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 he kind of starts uh, messing with Scar a little bit. Like, Scar is curious and wants to take a cigarette. And he says, go ahead and take it. And, like, Scar manages to light it first try also pretty impressive considering he's never seen these things well i guess it's not hard to light a cigarette uh so o'neill kind of starts like messing with him a little bit because he flicks a cigarette to like get the ash off and sees a scar does the same thing then he takes a big long drag of it and stares <laughs> him right in the eyes like your move hotshot and then scar does the same thing and obviously chokes out on it and like immediately like stumps down on the cigarette and says this is like what is this? This is death. Why would you do this? This is shit. And like, <laughs> like O'Neill kind of laughs and like, kind of like stumps out his cigarette too. And what I like is that Jack O'Neill, after this scene, never again smokes a cigarette in his entire fucking life. So this is like the interaction that made him quit smoking. And I really like that. It's all. It also ties him with his relationship with Scarla. With it, it has hooks into his whole grief over his son dying, which is clearly like him connecting with another kid is meant to uh, be like some kind of way of dealing with that. So this this scene is like the most character development that only gets in this movie, and the most I've liked him so far. While he's not yet Richard Dean Anderson, um, well, and I always assumed his reaction to. Scar trying to touch the gun is that that yes. is how he lost his. Also, that this mm-hmm. is clearly yeah. like yes. a, a reference to that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and, and like the the having having a kid, like he's like, oh no, yeah, take a cigarette. That's a one hundred percent dad move, right there. Uh-huh. Like, oh, yeah, oh, you want that? I, <laughs> yeah, I don't sure. think you Smoke do. It. But go, go Smoke for it, it until you like it. Finish, oh wait, you don't. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do do we think if this was filmed today, he would be uh, hitting a vape stick? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's... um, No. No, I don't think so. I think cigarettes are still a staple of the the U.S. military. Yeah. Also, there's no way to make vaping cool in a movie. I'm sorry, vapors. It's (laughs) just true. true. That's true. Um, 
Yeah, this is one thing. I don't think this scene would exist if this movie was made net, was made today, to be honest. Well, maybe not with the cigarette. Like the 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 part with the gun would still exist because that's still like significant thematically. But um, <laughs> but. <laughs> But again, no lighter, no connection with Scara, no healing for for Jack O'Neill. Yep, yep, yep. No healing. Uh, No, I'm gonna like survive this nuke and go back and live my life. No, uh, no character like because in Children of the Gods, which is the pilot episode of Stargate SG One, the thing that happens to Scara is very specifically the motivation that gets O'Neill to go to join the military again and join the SGC. Uh, well, actually, he'd, he'd already joined back up at this point, but it's the thing that motivates him to go after the bad guy of the show. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but like, also, like, Waskara tries to pick up the gun. Uh, O'Neill freaks out. But the way he freaks out is he picks up the gun and points at Waskara. <laughs> which, Jack, you have a real problem with pointing guns at people, man. And poor, oh my poor trigger God, discipline. Poor trigger uh-huh. discipline, yes. Yep, yep, yep. Like he, look, he looks like he is actively like halfway through a squeeze uh-huh. on that trigger, <laughs> and he like to Kurt Russell's credit, he clearly immediately re- regrets like snapping like that. Uh, puts his gun down and like he feels shitty about himself. Kowalski and Brown kind of stare back at him and go, "Man, okay, this guy, wow, okay, that's our leader, huh?" Um, so we get back to Daniel, who's with Uri. Uh, moving some rocks around to get into a cave, which I guess if she's been there before, she, maybe she pulls the, puts the rock back up, the rocks back up, because uh, it's like a secret spot or something. Uh, but she takes him to her big old wall of hieroglyphs, which also has the Earth point of origin symbol on it, uh, and he starts looking at them and starts kind of pronouncing them. And she hears him doing that and starts correcting his pronunciation, which aha. That's what he needed, because this is how you learned a language. Uh, you have someone there who reads the things with you. Uh, they have a little cute scene where he kind of just points at things and says them, and she says them a little bit different. He seems to learn the words for uh, one, many, or a person in a group or something like that. And uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, I think from this point forward, uh, it's just assumed that Daniel fluently speaks Goa'uld, uh, and he's got like the whenever they're speaking in that language, they're, it's going to be subtitled if he's in the scene to signify that he understands, and that's that's kind of where they get off in the show, uh, having everyone speak English. You just meant to assume that Daniel is there and translating for everyone, but also it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. Also, now, I was watching the free version on YouTube because they have a free with ads version. Mm-hmm. And that version does not include the subtitles. Oh, great. And a- apparently there's like a few streaming services and I think even a few DVDs or Blu-rays where they didn't include the subtitles. Did you uh, did you try like with the the subtitles on YouTube turned on? Maybe that's they, they yep. put them in there. No, it it just says you know oh, awesome. speaking alien language. But yeah, now, all the scenes later were raw speaking. That's subtitled actually. So yeah, no, and I like the one thing I remembered him saying is like there's only one raw. Uh-huh. So that's why I knew something was weird. Yep. 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 Well, um, I can tell you, Tubi has complete subtitles. It does. Great. Everyone, pick Tubi over YouTube if you want to watch this. Uh, 
better experience. We all agree. Yep. You get what you pay for. Which is nothing in both cases. I mean, well, Tubi yeah, has like five true. ads in a row in the middle. So yeah, you're paying yeah. for it. Yeah. But I mean, the ads in the middle of this movie really like duplicate the experience of catching it on cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the way most people have probably experienced yeah, this movie. Gave me a chance to get up and get a snack, go to the bathroom. Yeah, you know, exactly. All, all the normal things. Exactly. Things you need to do. Speaking of, does anyone need to take a break before we finish this? I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm okay, good. let's keep going. All right, awesome. Uh, we cut back to Ferretti being dragged. Uh, I guess that's now up on the ship. We skipped over the part where he gets ringed up there. Um, he sees like big old statues and stuff just being dragged on the floor by this guy uh, who dumps him down in, I believe, right in... Yeah, okay, so that's in front of uh, the sarcophagus where Ra is currently slumbering. Um, and the, the Jaffa kneel in front of it and the sarcophagus opens way more fancy than it's going to be on the show because they had movie budget to make a cool prop with it. Uh, and then we see, like, it's really sinister and scary because I think we just see his hand, like, to rise up out of thing, and, like, Freddy kind of looks up, immediately gets whacked in the face for his trouble. <laughs> Poor I like French. how they have the hand come out like he's Dracula. I like uh-huh. that. That's clearly the, like the the influence there. They're, they're, they were going for that and they got it because it's the same kind of mold of villain where he's mm-hmm. some kind of supernatural uh, arist- aristocratic thing who doesn't see humans as... An, Im- an immortal ist- aristocrat who's yep. seen the beginning and end of time. <laughs> yeah, basically that, yeah, except he's an Egyptian god and an alien instead of a vampire. Uh, we cut back to... I think he might be a Highlander. <laughs> Because as we learn in Highlander 2, they're aliens. Yes. Oh, yes. And he right. says there can be only one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I was hoping this was a Highlander 2 free podcast. <laughs> so the Goa Old, or the Goa Old, is that how you yeah. say Goa it? Goa Old. Yes. Yeah. Yes. G-O-A so apostrophe are the, Those are the titular princes of the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Gua'uld, if you want to learn about their life cycle, uh, well, not the whole life cycle, but uh, their lifespan, they're uh, essentially immortal. Uh, they don't like the the, 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 the the parasite itself doesn't age. Uh, their hosts might die. Uh, they, they, their hosts age very slowly, but uh, they have a couple solutions for that. So they have sarcophagi that just completely restores them to full life anytime they use them. And uh, also, they can just like shift to a new host if they need to, and good is new at that point. So that's cool. Uh, they're not gonna die if you just leave them be. You have to kill them. Basically, is what's important about them. Um, <laughs> so we cut back to the native city. Uh, Brown is still trying to get through to the temple, and he's like, uh, O'Neill's like, so no signal at all. Uh, Brown says nothing. And O'Neill thinks it's interference, but I think the th- the main thing is that actually no one's picking up at this point. Um, so now we have a cool little scene where Skara is showing off to his pals with his Zippo that he just got. He's like, check this out. This is cool as hell. I just flip this open, makes fire. And you have this little friend right there uh, whose name is Nabe. Thank you, Amazon. Uh, tries to touch the fire because, you know, he doesn't know where the lighter is, but, like, Skara kind of, like, goes, you fucking idiot, this fire, <laughs> you know what fire is? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and then they see Kowalski and O'Neill just outside. Uh, they're looking for Daniel, and they see Kowalski giving a military salute to O'Neill. O'Neill answering with it. Uh, they walk out. Oh, there's another one of those animals right there. Uh, just cherish them because you don't see them much. Um, so they walk out. Uh, they all give him the military salute at this point because they <laughs> saw that. So that's pretty cute. Uh, Oyas tries to communicate to them that he's looking for. Uh, okay, no, sorry. Uh, O'Neill tries to to ask them where Daniel is by showing them his vest that he left behind, and he tries to do like a gesture on his hair to to mean like long hair. Uh, they they all think that this is a salute that he did earlier, so they all copy that and to try to salute him back. And he goes, no, 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 wait, that's not what I'm talking about. He does a little okay glasses. He does a little circles over his eyes. Uh, he says. Uh, he, he says, I guess the word dweeb doesn't mean anything to you, which is pretty funny. Um, he, da, 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 more funny. Says who's okay. on first, what's on second. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> uh, he, he repeats all the gestures he made. He sneezes to mean, you know, uh, he has allergies. You've seen him sneeze. And Skara understands what he's talking about and goes, <laughs> you know, chicken man he's the guy who's and then like O'Neill does the chef kiss that Daniel did earlier so that they all understand they're talking about chicken and oh. everyone starts going bok 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 including our good friend Nabe who's clearly a uh, comic relief kind of slow guy being set up for a tragic scene later on well and Scar um, you chicken know reminds me of so Scar- reminds me of Nog from Deep Space Nine a little yeah <laughs> a little bit yeah well, and, and um, Scar immediately, you know, is like, "Oh, sneeze that! Oh, yeah, that guy," because he had a very intimate interaction with his snot rag as they were being <laughs> dragged into the city. Oh, that's right. Uh, speaking of snot rags, uh, Scar has the brilliant idea to get Daniel's vest and make it uh, make the, the 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 big thing s- smell it and like just open the gate and run off towards where Daniel is, which is okay. Uh, seems a little bit for a search dog, but what do I know? I'm not an alien. Um, well, this is why you should cherish these boys, because they are they are the dogs of this universe, and we need <laughs> to treasure them. Yep, yep, yep. Treasure the dogs. Uh, also, they ate chocolate earlier and didn't die, so point these th- these boys. Better than uh, dogs. Yeah, better than dogs. We'll survive chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they, okay, so they follow, they get to the cave where Daniel is with Chari. Uh... And, like, O'Neill is kind of shitty. He's like, I thought you couldn't speak their language. Well, you know, he's been learning, whatever. Uh, to be fair, he's still right to be angry at Daniel, who lied to them about being able to dial back the gate in the first part. Um, so Daniel starts to explain that he's learning, and once, the, once he heard the vowels, everything fell into place, which is apparently... Uh, pretty cool moment of good research because that's the main thing that's stopping Egyptologists from knowing how ancient Egyptian was spoken is that hieroglyphs mm. don't record vowel sounds. So they, they, they just have the consonants and no one knows what it actually sounds like except, you know, consonant sounds. So point for this movie. Interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, he explains that he, he has learned <laughs> to speak it and now he understands everything because there's also the whole... Ra's whole backstory is also 
drawn and written on these walls and he's understanding and so he's explaining that Ra was an ancient alien who was from a dying race citation needed because <laughs> Stargate lore there's a whole bunch of them actually um, <laughs> here we go uh, again with the lore <laughs> okay I'm, I'm gonna piss you off some more because we cut to a shot of an alien face and oh boy yes. Stargate people um, this, is, <laughs> this is upsetting because this is not what gold look like at all They're, it's Prometheus from Prometheus and uh-huh. Bob here's, here's the thing okay we know that before, so this is this is like this is raw before he found humans and before he took a human host. Um, before humans, uh, Gwauld had for as their primary host an alien race called Unas that also don't look like this. They look like uh, humanoid lizard people. Yeah, they're, they're lizard uh, folk. This is also not that. This looks like an Asgard. Actually, if you want to get <laughs> into Stargate alien races, yeah, Fanon is that Ross' previous host before he found the human was an Asgard, which I really like, actually, so I'm going to take this as good. Yeah, and I mean, like, the and the Asgard, like, rejected the gold physiology and was just like, no, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 like, you can, like, kind of headcanon that the... The, the the body of this Asgard was fighting the gold larva, which is why you see him like kind of dying and him need, needing a new host really bad. I also like this is completely me. This is not something I read anywhere. I don't think we've ever seen Odin in uh, the oh. in the Stargate universe. So I'm gonna say that I was Ross' remember. host was an Asgard named Odin. That's that's my that's my personal little uh, theory that doesn't really matter. But here you go. Uh, sorry, new people once again. Asgard don't show up until season mid through season two. No, two? no, no, wait. No, they're you pretty see early. them in season two, but like they first. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. They get important in season three because like Thor comes over with the replicators. Also, yeah, Thor is a character on Stargate. Everyone, have fun with that one for Loki a couple more well. seasons. Yeah, Loki too. Freya um, in there. Yep. Don't worry, I'm fill- I'm filling out the wiki page. I'm getting all this down. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, we'll get to that. There's actually an episode in season one that deals with them, even though you don't see them. Um, so, uh, Daniel explains to them, uh, so Ra was like searching everywhere in the galaxy for another host, which, you know, you'd think he'd just go into an Unas, but, uh, maybe he's too good for that because he's the Supreme Commander or whatever. Um, so they found Earth. Uh, so we get the scene that I mentioned from the uh, extended edition that's at the start of the movie. Uh, we get like most of this scene here in flashback where you see uh, young, uh, a young human who is Ra's host, uh, who sees the, 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 the ship come down, uh, teleport beam thing catches him and like takes him over and that's, that's going to be the new host. So to make Ra look like a human and also live longer because uh, I... Is, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this is where... No, is going to talk about later why why he chose humans. Um, and then, so, okay, so now that Ra had a human form, well, there were all these humans on Earth that he could use as slaves, so he just fucking blind everyone up, found the Stargate, I guess, because, uh, uh, once again, new people, uh, Stargates weren't built by the Gua'uld. Uh, Stargate, the Stargate on Earth was either already there or Rob brought it over because he had it. It's not super clear. 
Um, anyway, he used the Stargate to send humans to Abydos and also to like a hundred other planets at least. Uh, but we don't see that yet. Um, so, uh, after all that happened, and uh, Ra was like leading the humans both on Earth and other planets, uh, the humans on uh, on Earth started to like kind of rebel against them, and we get a nice little shot of a whole crowd of humans lifting a Jaffa up above their head and kind of crowd surfing him, like to signify, yeah, this is revolution. Working class and rising so up against they, their they, they kind of kicked, kicked the gold out and uh, buried the Stargate so that they couldn't come back to Earth and get more slaves. So that was the end of the story on Earth. But obviously, Abydos already had people living there, so and presumably a bunch of other systems controlled by Ra um, that he could still keep enslaving and using. So they've he's been doing that for thousands and thousands of years. So that's and, nice. And Earth was just, you know, the first to have their their unanimous union election. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it's gonna take actually they they weren't the last. There's we know of other human worlds that were either abandoned by the Gwauld or uh where the humans managed to actually like advance enough to become a threat to the Gwauld and kick them out also. Mm-hmm. We're gonna meet the Tolans, we're gonna meet that's the Colonians okay. later on. Uh, I guess the Lantarans, because that's the planet in Colo- anyway. Um so there's a bunch of like more also more advanced human uh people in the galaxy. So like Earth is not completely unique in that sense, but uh the uh, we'll say the most uh canonical common situation is that the gold kept a bunch of human slaves on uh, under their control to mine Nakoda and uh, do whatever else uh, tyrannical uh, colonial overlords do to their slaves. Um, and they find a cartouche that has a whole nice six symbols on it. So that's what exactly what Daniel needed to dial the gate back. And he starts to wipe the sand off of it. And oh no, the bottom of it has kind of eroded away. And so that's where the point of origin is. And so they don't know what the seventh symbol is, even though, you know, if they have the first six and there's, I think if someone counted them, there's something like 39 symbols in a Stargate, that's just 39 numbers. You have to try one after the other. It's like the combination, oh, yeah. Yeah, the combinatorial ex- uh, explosion is not really a factor anymore. It, it would be pretty easy to just try everything until you find the yeah you can the, you the can point bru- origin. I, you can brute force a I combo guess, lock if you just need the last one yeah would exactly the concern though be that if i just randomly put in some seventh number or mm-hmm. signal or sign and i go through the wet portal and end up in like mustafar and i get uh-huh. eviscerated by fire yeah th- so yes but also <laughs> no because the thing they're missing is the point of origin it's mm-hmm. like it's like the one you put on a phone before dialing the, 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 the area code. It's just to tell, to tell the phone that you're doing a long-distance thing. That's basically the equivalent that they're missing. Presumably, the gate wouldn't even open until they get the right one. Right, because that was the uh, problem on Earth like during the, during the first bit, because they, they couldn't yeah. figure out that the Earth point of origin symbol was the Stargate symbol, was the triangle even with though, the circle like, on top. Earth has had the gate under their control for, for 70 years and had all the equipment necessary to dial the gate once they knew the symbols, and so could have easily brute-forced it, right. and in fact did manage to do that in the 1940s. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Not even referencing Stargate Origins, there's an episode in season one where they 
go back to and find that. Um, so does the series go over what exactly is needed to dial? Like, in terms of... Yes, and no. Locking. And no. Like, <laughs> they, they like would had... they manually turn the... Okay, yeah, that part that part is covered. Uh, you can manually turn the Stargates. Most However. of the Star... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most most of the star yeah it it takes a long time and it takes uh say uh Christopher Judge to do that, um, or yeah. most stargates throughout the galaxy have what they call a DHD which means a dial home device which is a nice big terminal right in front of it with all the symbols and a big red circle in the middle of it that you just press the buttons to make a dial, oh, you and just, also you just slam on it you just fucking yep. oh yeah yep yep yep. And also on Earth, they just use their computers to do it, as we saw in the intro to this movie. Well, so they have. I, wasn't Earth's I, I DHD would, either destroyed or or not with the star? I seem to remember is, an episode. Well, Earth's about DHD that. is present. We get to see it yeah. eventually. It's just that. Okay, how to how do I say this without spoilers? I guess <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get it's, there. It's complicated. Let, let's I say. Was, Raw had probably his own method of dialing the Stargate and was not interested in leaving one for the humans to figure out mm-hmm, laying around. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I was hoping you were going to say that every Stargate just has a USB port on every planet. <laughs> you know what? You aren't wrong. <laughs> it gets pretty easy once they figure out the panel and the right electrodes to put in to just mm-hmm. hook up a PSP to this thing. You just need a Samantha Carter on your team and you can Stargate do that. The, Stargate the series does eventually go to be like, you know what? It's just technology. We'll uh-huh. figure it out. Uh-huh. It's it's it, and it use is it wild. Irresponsibly. It is wild how used to alien technology the humans get over the course of 10 years when you get down to it. Oh, yeah. I and also it's two weeks to acclimate to, for for like a human to acclimate to a new strange thing and then you're uh-huh. done. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so this movie takes place in 1996. By, I want to say, 2005 or 6 or 7, the humans have built spaceships that can go to different galaxies, if that gives you an idea. (laughs) Um, And they don't share this tech with the rest of the planet at all. It's all under NDA, under control of the U.S. military. Uh, Anyway, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, as Braytac would be fond of saying. Um, uh, So, okay, Daniel is once again, (laughs) you know, so they say we don't have the seventh symbol. Daniel... Like, earlier in the movie, Daniel had nothing. He said, for sure I can dial this gate. Now he has six of the seven symbols he needs, and he says, well, oh, okay, hopeless. Can't do anything. We're done here. <laughs> Come on, man. Just just dial 39 times until you find it. It's not that hard. Also, if you're worried about it, just, like, radio through the gate, which we know is possible. Um, anyway, so uh, I guess it's it's dawn now, and the sandstorm has stopped, so the soldiers and Daniel just start hiking back towards the temple, because I guess O'Neill has had enough of this shit, and he's decided, I'm just going to blow this up, and all of us with it now. Because, actually, I don't really know what O'Neill's thinking right now, because it doesn't make much sense. It's a, it's a threat. That's why they're blowing it up, is so that nothing can come back through the gate to Earth. Yeah. Because, I mean, they've seen that there's people living there. They don't know... I, oh, yeah, right. So Daniel has explained everything about Raw. So I guess now O'Neill is worried about Raw. And he's like, well, I got I to gotta blow up the gate now. Because we know that's a, that's that's dangerous. Um, no, that's the whole yeah, point of the military sense. being here. 
that makes more sense. And as they walk back, they sure... Like, you, you see a shot of the spaceship over the pyramid, and the little soldier guys just keep walking towards it. Apparently, they're not super phased by it. They don't go, holy shit, there's a spaceship here now. What's going on? What happened to the people in there? Okay, yeah, so they do duck in the sand to uh, take defensive positions as they approach. Uh, so when so the, the look of the, the, the bigger pyramid that's sitting on top of the, more, the, the temple... Uh, this came out in 1994. How much yep. do we think this movie influenced the Protoss in StarCraft? Oh, uh, it's probably a fair bit, I would say. I would uh, hazard a guess that the game designers at Blizzard in 1996 and 7 were pretty big geeks that had seen sci-fi, including Stargate. Considering also, there's literally a building, a Protoss building in StarCraft called the Stargate. And that's mm-hmm. oh yeah that's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's 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 what they used to summon spaceships in StarCraft. Um, yeah. I, I would I would say chances are very high that it's a strong influence, and everything else is just Warhammer 40k and Starship <laughs> Troopers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so as they approach, uh, O'Neill whips out his uh, his binoculars again and starts looking at it. And he's like, okay, well, there's a spaceship there now, so let's technically get up and start sprinting towards <laughs> it in the open, I guess. Because that's what they do. Uh, which is kind of surprising that the ship just hasn't blown them up as they were running at this point, but lucky, I guess, they weren't looking. Um, they get in there, they look around, of course, all the soldiers are gone. Uh, do they find the bodies? They're kind of looking... I guess the, the 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 bad guys have cleaned up the bodies because they don't find any. Uh, but he does find some bullets. Yeah, Spence shell casings uh, indicating that there was a gunfight here, uh, and of course, like there's still uh, this is Horus at this point, uh, the other Jaffa, who I guess is would be the second prime because he seems to be under Hor- uh, under Anubis in chain of command. Um, and he's there, and he starts whacking them good. He tries to shoot at Daniel, who's peeking. So this is the first time we see the staff actually shoot lasers. Um, so uh, O'Neill grabs Daniel, and he runs down the ramp towards where the Stargate is and lights up a flare and says, Okay, I've seen enough. Uh, not going to tell you what I'm doing, but I'm going to blow the hell out of this thing now, because uh, clearly there's some bad aliens here that need blown up. We're done um, here. Yep, we are done gonna blow this up and tone for my dead son oops the nuke is gone can't do anything now it's um, all klondike bars yep <laughs> oh nice <laughs> they have good freezer technology those aliens <laughs> uh we see the, the the ring transport activate for the first time pretty slowly because uh yeah. these things go way faster later on well uh, and it's a, they've only got 46 minutes <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, it's like the 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 ring lifts. Like those are. I think this is the first time in my life I have noticed that. Oh, that's like a mini Stargate. Uh huh. Because yeah. <laughs> like in in my all my time watching SG One, I never put that together. Uh, have you watched Stargate Universe? No, I haven't. Okay, so ancients ancients really liked rings because these these things are also ancient technology. Uh once again, 
Stargate lore aside for everyone, the gold haven't invented literally anything. They've stolen yeah. everything they mm-hmm. have, and this includes Su- so super parasites. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, the, the, the Elon Musk's. Yep. <laughs> well, so, they're 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 the space British colonial empire. <laughs> if you want to get like, they've literally stolen Egypt from Egyptians. Um, the Goa old's parents had a, an emerald mine. Uh-huh. Well, Nakoda mine, to be clear. Well, uh, well, when they came across the forerunners and they saw the halo, they went, <laughs> we like that. That looks cool. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, the ancients built both the Stargates and their ring transports, and uh, they fucking like rings. The ship on Stargate Universe even has a kind of ring shape to it, even though it's 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 more like chevron shape, but the outside of it is curved. Uh, but it's just they, these dudes were way into rings. Atlantis also very much. Uh, rings, concentric rings in its uh, arc, uh, blah, in its construction. Um, what's, uh, another fun thing, Atlantis is in there eventually, mm-hmm. everyone. Well, um, learning, learning of Stargate Atlantis, and then because mm-hmm. I, I learned of it before I watched this movie, and then I watched the opening mm-hmm. of the movie where yep. Daniel's being berated by all of these scientists for saying something so brave yet so controversial. <laughs> and yep. and my child brain went, oh, this is Disney's Atlantis. And then it veered hard <laughs> left. <laughs> I mean, uh, also, yeah, it's been mentioned in uh, the previous episode. Yeah, yes, this, this moment is really funny in retrospect because you have this uh, eminent archaeologist guy in the conference who is like, who built the pyramids then meant from Atlantis? And we we're all like, no, men from Atlantis <laughs> built the Stargate, though, but you know. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, also uh, Atlantis, the Lost Empire, the Disney cartoon, uh, lifted a bunch of things from this movie, apparently. Um, so, anyway, so out from the ring, transport comes uh, our buddy Anubis, the Jaffa. Uh, who uh, opens up his staff thing and points it at them, and uh, Daniel tries to act all brave and points his pistol at them, and it's like, no, that's not going to work. Uh, O'Neill tells him to put it down, and Daniel does. So they get taken up to the ship to be brought in front of Ra, as Freddy was before. Uh, uh, we get a little shot. Beautiful shot of three moons. Yeah, uh, the, the like, we saw the, tre- the three moons... Uh, uh, you get a shot of moons here? I, I missed that. Anyway. Pretty soon. Okay. Uh, and um, so we got a, a close-up of uh, Anubis's hand where he has a little gem on, his, on the back of his hand that he presses to uh, close down the ring transport that O'Neill sees, which is significant for later. Um, so uh, he just kind of like pushes them forward to go up to uh, the throne well, oh, there's the three moons. Yeah, the we see the spaceship top open because this is a convertible, baby. Uh, <laughs> Ra likes to see his sunrise. Uh, he is, after all, the sun god, so that makes sense. Uh, all right, so these things come down like Blade Runner, kind of, like those pyramid, like, diagonal curtains. Uh, slowly, then the doors open. Uh, here I am vamping because this show, it, this shot is slow. We have a bunch of uh, little slave children. Uh, yeah, okay. These children, <laughs> I have to wonder, are these humans or Jaffa? I guess, I guess the distinction doesn't make much sense since Jaffa children are humans. They might be the children of Jaffa that are being kind of like groomed to into becoming full soldiers, but are acting as uh, raw slaves. 
like his personal uh, house slaves, I guess. Well, as personal slaves and his uh, meat shield. Yeah, also <laughs> that's yes. what we're going to see, uh, which is real nice, a real nice way to uh, get one over on, on O'Neill, who is very traumatized by a dead child, which is he's going to get over by the end of this movie when you think about what happens to these children at the end. Um, so, yeah, in, in comes Ra with a big old uh, metal pharaoh mask over his face, so we don't get to see him all the way yet. Uh, he, he starts speaking to them in Gua'uld. Uh, saying, you've come here to destroy me, and then, like, a couple more slaves come out from the back and bring uh, the nuke on a platter, and uh, this is the first time Daniel sees it, of course, and he starts asking a bunch of questions to O'Neill, like, what the fuck, and you never told me about this, and why are we here anyway? Um, so, uh, then at this point, I'm sorry, uh, he signals to his uh, his first prime, hey, take off your helmet and show him you're human for some reason. I don't know why he would do that, but there you go. <laughs> like, just get get rid of your uh, psychological advantage at this point by showing them that. Also, the second one is Jimon Hansu before he was famous, I guess, or I don't know if this was before Amistad or whatever. And uh, only credited as Jimon. Yeah, weirdly enough. So I, I guess this was before his name was recognized. Uh, he's. I don't think he even says a single line in this movie. Anyway, and then Ra takes off his helmet to show everyone that he is played by Jay Davidson in his final role ever. Uh, yep. I've never. I I haven't seen the Crying Game. The only thing I know about it is that there's a gender twist in it, so I assume it's it involves him. Um, but apparently he played. Uh, he was in the Crying Game, and then this movie, and then he quit acting forever. So make of that what you will, I guess. But he's the villain in this. Uh, uh, he's in the. He's in this because they offered him a ludicrous amount of money to be. Oh in yeah, it. that's what I heard. Because he was coming off of, like an Oscar. Did he win an Oscar or nomination or something? He was like a I, big deal. I don't know. I know Roland Emmerich really wanted that guy to be yeah. in the movie. Uh, so specifically, shelled out a ridiculous amount of money just to have him play Raw. Uh huh. That's great. Uh, it's, it, it's, it clashes a bunch with the fact that every subsequent goal is going to be played by a Canadian character actor, I guess, or Jamaican, because Apophis is a Jamaican actor. But anyway, um, so, uh, the, uh, O'Neill immediately springs into action, punches out the Jaffa that's standing right next to him, picks up his staff weapon, shoots another Jaffa with it, uh, wants to aim at Ra. Uh, I don't know what Daniel is thinking. Uh, wait, hang on. Did I miss the order of events here? I think, okay, so... Hang on. Uh, O'Neill picks up the, the uh, Anubis' staff, punches him out, uh, shoots another Jaffa on the side. Uh, Daniel, for some reason, uh, like, stands in the path, like, of... Uh, uh, I guess Horace's uh, shot, who wants to shoot O'Neill. Okay, so so the shot makes it look like he's trying to stop O'Neill sh from shooting the bad guys, but he just, like, uh, stands in the way and uh, saves O'Neill's life from getting hit by uh, Jaffa's staff, which gives us, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to announce our inaugural and 
ongoing uh, segment of this podcast, The Many Deaths of Daniel Jackson. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we get our first one right there. Uh, Daniel gets shot by a staff weapon and dies. No! You might think, well, he's just hurt. He's going to come back. No. no, Daniel is dead at this point. Okay, so he's gone from the rest of the movie and this franchise? No. He's dead. He's going to get better. Um, these things will kill you. It's pretty consistent early on in the series. Eventually, less so, I guess. But uh, so Yeah, Daniel's the Goku of Stargate. Daniel is the, like, it's, he's been compared to Kenny from South Park mm-hmm. with yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the volume of his deaths. Uh, he dies, like, two or three more times, depending on how you count it, just in season one of the show. Um, it's pretty great. Uh, I'm very so, excited to see how this Yamcha makes his way through Stargates. All right. Uh, so O'Neill then uh, aims the staff at Ra. What happens then is, as we've alluded to, uh, all the slave kids uh, go up in front of Ra and like offer themselves as meat shields. And Kurt Russell does a hell of a face acting because you can see in his eyes, oh no, my son died from shooting himself with a gun. I can't possibly shoot these kids, which is fair. Um, So, of course, he doesn't shoot. Uh, Anubis picks up the staff from his hands and starts beating on him uh, until he submits, uh, which doesn't take much. Um, So, then Ra gets up, walks up to uh, Daniel Jackson's smoking corpse uh, spots that he's wearing a medallion that Ra recognizes because it has his eye or Horace's eye or whatever on it. Uh, oh, yeah, you also see him, his eyes glow at this point, which is going to become a thing where uh, how you recognize a gold from the glowing eyes, which they tend to have in dramatic moments when they're angry. Uh, so, he, like, yeah, he sees the medallion, tosses O'Neill down into a water cell along with the rest of the surviving soldiers. Uh, there's a couple more than I thought there. I guess uh, like two guys survived the the first shootout scene. Uh, they're all in there. Uh, Kowalski's there. For some reason, as a kid, when they revealed like the uh, who the guards were, for some reason as a kid, I was under the impression that Ra had turned the other soldiers into his guards. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, that misconception as well. Huh. Yeah. I can, uh, I can see why that would actually be important. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, yeah I to mean, see their faces, you know. I, I mean, also, you know, we're going to see that's not that far from lore later. Like, that's yeah. how, that almost happens to O'Neill at a point in a terrible mm-hmm. episode a little bit later on. Um, so anyway, uh, so Kowalski's there. He's like, hey, Colonel, uh, so what's up? What happened? Where's Daniel? And uh, O'Neill just stares at him with tears in his eyes. You know, uh, doesn't say it, but, you know, Daniel's dead. So we cut back out to the desert where Skara is, now that O'Neill's not around to tell him not to do that, is just digging to a, through a big old crate of guns. And he's like, oh, cool, awesome. Uh... And then, like, we see uh, the the fighter base on the ship open up and those gliders start flying out of it and uh, start flying towards them, which is bad news for everyone who lives on this planet because that means Ra is angry and is 
fixing to kill some humans at this point. Um, they all pack up their stuff, start running back towards their village. Hang on. They, no, they, they hide from the glider. Uh, they see that the glider is going towards the city. Uh, the art's going to start bombing it. Uh, someone uh, blows into a horn in the international uh, fantasy time, wartime signal of <laughs> shit's fucked. Everyone take cover. You see Kasuf staring out, sees the gliders, starts yelling at everyone to close the doors, take some cover. Uh, okay, so we do see that uh, there's a, like, J- the Jaffa in the gliders are wearing the full helmets, which it's going to need some, like, cockpit room, considering these fighters are supposed to go up to space also. I guess, yeah, so I guess the, the, the cockpit is open air in this movie, uh, so that makes more sense how they fit, fit the helmets in there. Uh, eventually, like snow speeders. Yeah, yeah, they're like snow speeders. Even, eventually, though, we're going to see that those ships have full cockpits and can go to space. Uh, just going to go to the end of the scene and then uh, call it a day. I don't know if there's much more to say besides uh, the gliders shoot everyone. Uh, you see a bunch of people dying it's really sad. Kasuf falls to his knees and starts praying to the heavens for them to be spared by their gods. And then the gliders, after they're just like scared, well, I mean, they're just lightly bombed them, kind of, <laughs> I guess. Lightly uh, bombed and them. they go like, oh, all right, they've learned their lesson. And they start flying <laughs> back towards the ship. And uh, we're going to call it right here. Yeah, and that's it for Look, part two if we of the kill movie. Too many, we won't have any slaves. Right, that's that's also the thing. It's their their workforce right there, so they can't really annihilate everyone, which is, you know, always the fatal flaw in any kind of like uh, workers' revolution against the oppressors. Is uh, the oppressors need the workers, not the other way around? And we're gonna see Raw uh, learn that lesson briefly before he dies uh next episode well and this this is why you have the prime directive because because you never know when when these despotic alien parasite overlords are going to you know murder like half their worker population right for learning to read or for coming in contact with reading and writing or potentially because right. they don't they don't even know like it's like oh no like these people obviously know how to read and write we need to we need to put the fear of raw into into the workforce again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. Counterpoint: uh, Starfleet, quote unquote, in this <laughs> series uh, is the modern day United States Air Force. Uh, it's they Space don't, Force. Yeah, uh, it is. no, it's not. It's the it's the Air Force. It's the U.S. <laughs> Air Force. Uh, even Stargate could not possibly have <laughs> have done something as ridiculous as having a whole branch of the U.S. military called the Space Force. That's, just that's a secret, just, just a secret one of of the already existing uh, uh, military arm. Yep, a secret branch of the of the Air Force. Anyway, all that to say, they they don't have a prime directive. They don't give a shit. They extremely uh, interact and mess with. A bunch of alien cultures at various stages of, of development, and the, they're eventually going to run into some advanced people who do have a prime directive and get pretty frustrated by them. Oh uh, yeah, they hate well, it. Well, yeah, yep, I mean, because yep, yep. SG One is is the U.S. Air Force's space travel journal. Yep, that's that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, if you if you don't know, uh, the Air Force. Was was very tightly involved with the production of Stargate SG One. Mm-hmm. Uh, they saw it as a pretty good recruiting tool, which is another side of the problematic aspects yep. of this franchise, I guess. Uh, besides the racism. Anyway, hey, you like Stargate, everyone? So, 
<laughs> so that's it for uh I've seen it before. I'll see it again. I do have a question. Uh, yeah. In in the show. Yep. The when the gold or the gold or whatever the aliens. Go uh, go go uh, old. Mm. Or if you're heavily Texan, you can say gould. You, you can, can say, say gould. Yeah. Uh, when, when the when the alien gould uh, take over yes. human form, uh, is it always in the form of a young twink? <laughs> uh, not always. Uh, there's a okay. Let 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 me think. You have a middle-aged guy. You have a old Fu Manchu guy. You have older middle-aged Greek guy. You have middle-aged Indian lady. You have middle-aged guy, but cool. Uh, So so imagine uh, a bunch of middle-aged Canadian character (laughs) actors. That's what you get. You you don't get the opposite end of the spectrum with with any bear hosts or anything like that. No. No, These yeah. answers do not please me. <laughs> I'm dissatisfied. Well, okay. I'm going to need to know what makes the middle-aged guy cool. Uh, one of them is a snake. You- one of them is Chinese. One of them is just... Uh, one of them looks like Nappa from Dragon Ball, actually. That's Heru-er. That's okay. Ross-san. Yeah. But, are, like, are, skinnier. Are you calling... Uh, are, are you calling Ball cool? Yeah, Ball, ball is the coolest ball, ball, is ball the coolest, by far. For sure. Yeah, that, there's yeah, no contest. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just making sure we're on the same page here. I, I think he's the longest running one, also. Like he first shows up in season four and goes all the way to the last movie, like continuum. Oh, yeah. Well, so, because he's a real bastard. Gonna see a lot of ball, a lot of balls, also. A lot of balls. <laughs> yep. Keep your eye on the ball. Yep. These jokes will make sense years <laughs> from now, everyone. <laughs> 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 Uh, so that's it. Uh, I'm still working on how to conclude these podcasts since uh, it hasn't been published yet, so I don't have any kind of listener feedback or questions. I guess I could check the Gmail account just in case someone decided to write in for some reason, even though we haven't had an episode yet. Just give me a second there. We're still, we're still in the middle of, of the parts. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I got nothing. Um, well, yeah, we're still in the parts. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, join us next week as we conclude Stargate the movie, and I'm just gonna. You can so you can uh, find the Twitter uh, of this podcast at Jaffa Takes on Twitter. You can send any kind of feedback or questions or anything you might have to that Twitter uh, as a comment or whatever, or just at us. Uh, you can also send an email to Jaffa, Jaffa Takes Podcast at Gmail dot com uh, that we can read on the show later on. Uh, besides that, my personal Twitter is the real Simban. Uh, this is I don't only talk about Stargate, so this is only if you want to get to know the real me, the real smell. If you want to get real, like down it. No, sorry, <laughs> I was getting too spadery there. Uh, I don't want to go that far. We can't be too sexy uh, on this podcast. Don't want to be too sexy. This is a podcast about sci-fi for nerds. Um, this is the unhorny series. If we were doing yeah. Farscape, we could be horny. Uh huh. Exactly. Uh, Get that I'm also- smut off this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm also another, on another podcast uh, recapping uh, Power Rangers called Teenagers with Attitude. Uh, we're up to, if you want to listen to that, we're up to Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. I think last week I said we had 500 episodes. I overshot that number way up. We're up to 300 something, actually, which is still a lot, 
but uh well i mean there's official shows and then there's bonus episodes there's also that eric so eric has a bunch of uh rec- recordings of uh various power rangers fan fiction you can enjoy on that uh feed hmm. if you're so inclined speaking of which uh, er- importantly it is a power rangers highlander crossover yeah. fan fiction so if you want to get that stargate link right there highlander uh, apparently, yeah, yeah, it's the, the the thing that connects us all. Um, Eric, anything else you want to plug? No, not really. Cool, Gabe. Anything you want to plug? Uh, you, you can just find me on Twitter at Grizzly Ginger DG. That DG stands for Disc Golf because this didn't used to be my main account, but now it is. Because I also <laughs> make a podcast all about disc golf history. I like the ancients. I am very into circles. I, I really like <laughs> circular things, and so I decided to make an entire podcast about the history of golf played with frisbees. So you can you can find that uh, Roots of Flight on any podcatcher, and there's also a mm-hmm. not very active Twitter that will become active as I am not currently uh, recording or producing the podcast. Uh, that's at Roots of Flight DG. Great, awesome, uh, Kavika. Anything you want to plug? Uh, I mean, if anybody wants to look at my Twitter, which is mainly shit posts and communist shit, uh, Hell yeah. you, can, you can do uh, dick underscore agency uh, oh. if you if you like. Awesome, I'm into that. I'm also like shit posts and light communism on my Twitter. If you're into that, um, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Dean, what's what's uh, up with be- you? I'm going to be mysterious because I work for the government and oh. not mention my Twitter. Uh-huh, um, great. I, I instead will plug, I've been watching uh, Ally McBeal. Everyone should watch Ally McBeal. It's on Hulu. <laughs> it's great. That's my plug. Great. It is horny. Oh, yeah. That's, that show is hell. for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for showing up and uh, chatting about Stargate with me today. Uh, and uh, I'm going to say, I guess, I guess our tour is just going to be this. Listeners, Cree, or... Ah, fuck. <laughs> I guess... Uh, <laughs> no more Cree. It's done. Oh, it's over. Uncree. <laughs> <laughs>